Welcome to Inside Groove, the only motorsports show where super modifieds are king, methanol is aromatic, and the drivers carry their balls in a bag. Inside Groove is powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Here's your host and fellow superholic, Tom Baker. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Inside Groove Supermodified Podcast. My name is Tom Baker. This is episode 91 of the podcast. If this is your first time listening to us, we appreciate you checking us out and hope you like what you hear. And if it's uh, not your first time, then uh, we appreciate you coming back and being a regular customer of the podcast here. Uh, really do appreciate that. So um, what have we got for you today? Well, Danny Sewell is going to join us here in just a little while. And this was a fun and somewhat surprising and candid interview. That's all I'm going to tell you. Um, you'll really enjoy it. I really am grateful to Danny for taking the time. Uh, we did talk about of course, uh, his father's career as a supermodified car owner and Danny's career growing up in the sport. And uh, then, of course, uh, brought it all the way to current um, him driving, him becoming an owner, him becoming a driver again, then him <laughs> and going back to being an owner. And now, of course, taking on the new role as the president of the International Supermodified Association, ISMA Tour and so that uh, is going to uh, be where we kind of delve into what his vision is. And there is where some of it was very surprising. So uh, definitely looking forward to bringing that to you. And also, of course, we will do our usual what's in a number and have some fun with the number 91. And that's where I want to leave off this open with <laughs> one more little... Uh, one more little nugget, and it's in the form of an apology. Jack Patrick, I'm sorry, buddy. Wow. Um, I mean, my brain is unreliable lately, but uh, it really got bad, apparently, when I was doing the um, end of the last show and did the what's in the number for number 90 and forgot that old Jack Patrick is running number 90, like, right now. Uh, so my extremely short-term memory um, is... Uh, <laughs> apparently going bad on me so um sorry about that jack <laughs> uh but that's why i do these off the cuff because every once in a while you have a gaffe like that and it just becomes a reason to laugh and boy do we need reasons to laugh nowadays don't we uh what was that in the reader's digest used to be laughter is the best medicine boy i i can certainly uh go along with that right now right so um definitely try to keep these shows fairly light uh and yet we do cover what's new in super modified racing and sometimes you know lately we've had a lot of drama with the new series and all that so uh definitely excited to interview danny and uh to be bringing that to you today and i'm just gonna leave it right there we're gonna take a break uh when we come back we're going to jump right into the interview with Danny Sewell. I will warn you, it is a long one. It's about an hour and I think about an hour and a half. So uh, this is another extra distance podcast here. We try to keep them to about an hour, but 
Lately, the guests have been long-winded, which is great. We'd much rather the guest be long-winded than me be long-winded. So my quest is always to keep the open of the show under five minutes. And right now we're about 3.50. So I'm stepping out. You're going to hear a commercial when we come back. We'll have Danny Sewell. Stick around. Inside Groove returns right after this. Hey, here's a little fish tale for you. It's about a place named Skip's Fish Fry. Skip's Fish Fry is located at 42 West 2nd Street in Oswego. They're open Tuesday through Saturday, 11 to 7. So don't call them on Sunday or Monday. They're gone fishing. They are open Tuesday through Saturday, 11 to 7. They serve a variety of great fish, burgers, Hoffman hot dogs, conies, lobster, soup, salad. They even have cheesecake if you feel like some delicious dessert. I love their haddock pieces. That's one of my favorites. Uh, And they just have great food. It is the best fish in the Port City. I'm not just saying that because they're a sponsor of the show. It is one of the first places that I go to eat every time I'm in town. So call Skip's Fish Fry or go visit them on their website at skipsfishfry.com. And by the way, you can order online and just go pick it up. It's a great way to go ahead and take care of the not-so-fun part before you get there. And then when you get there, just pick up your food, bring it home, and enjoy. Skip's Fish Fry, 42 West 2nd Street in Oswego. Go visit them guest on this show is Danny Sewell and uh, great to have Danny on the show um, and uh, sounds like you're doing something in the shop or uh, busy uh, trying to multitask here uh, multitasking <laughs> figured, I, figured I better sit down and pay attention since you took the time out to invite me to talk with you well <laughs> it always helps but uh, we appreciate that uh Man, um, gosh, I'm I'm going to just uh, go, take you all the way back here because I feel like there's just so much history and so many stories that could be unpacked here. Um, so I'm going to take you all the way back and ask you to um, think about and talk about what your very first memory of going to the Oswego Speedway is and and when was it that you started going? Um, well, basically, I think as my, my parents would tell it, I probably was carried up there to sit in the stands in diapers. <laughs> That's um, a common story. And myself with, you know, a bunch of, a bunch of other kids, I think, I think the Abled family and Pat Abled and his family and, and numerous other people, probably the Muldoon family, they were, they were all in the same boat. They probably all have been carried in there since they you know started breathing on the face of the earth um i think from there basically went through and you know obviously was involved with uh my dad growing up helping with a car or trying to get invested with the car and i think probably when i was 13 years old uh started racing some go-karts oh okay you know but i guess i guess back in that in that that time, that time frame, um, you know, basically kids and kids and even if you go even further, further, uh, when I was younger than that, women in general weren't um, even allowed in the pits to like this week. So I think my, I think the way my mother told it was, I think it was Ernie June, his wife helped him. And I think she was maybe the first woman that was even allowed to go in the pits to help him because Ernie said, Hey, I can't, I can't bring my car in the pits unless I bring my wife in to help. So 
things have really evolved over the years as far as who could come and go. And I think That's they got interesting. go karts. I don't remember that. Just for the fact that even if I was invested in time in the shop helping my dad, I'd have to go sit in the sit in the stands, and you know that that became like who's going to watch the kids in the stands and so ah. there, was, there was a lot of time where I started working on my own stuff going go-kart racing and maybe didn't go to the races so much because I had to sneak in like probably most uh, most everyone else you got yeah. 14 or 15 you snuck in as saying you're 16 and then when you got to be like 17 or 18 you wish you could still get the same prices when you were <laughs> yeah when you were yeah exactly <laughs> now I was trying to to, to go back and remember what year your dad first got involved and i out of my out of my uh mushy memory i seem to feel like it would had to have been somewhere around maybe 69 or 70 yeah i i don't know the exact years but he helped uh him and a guy named uh, dick bloom would kind of semi-owned or worked on a, a modified together Oh, okay. And, and then I think in, I'm going to take a stab in the dark, it was like 66 or 67, um, Bobby Stelter had bought the Trimble Sprint car. Um, and my dad had also at that at that time was helping a Canadian guy named Bruno Marcheson from Canada. Ah. And, and he ended up, Bobby, I think, ran the Trimble Sprint car for maybe a season and my dad ended up getting the car from Bobby Stelter and I think it had like a flathead Buick in it and he put the 350 in it and I think Bruno Bruno started driving the car and then um I think there was actually Jimmy Winks first ride in a super modified was in my yes. dad's car yeah I think he won rookie of the year in that car didn't he um could be could be I, I've probably forgotten more more facts than I remember yeah. at this point <laughs> I'm getting there quickly um that's uh yeah because i i do remember jimmy um i don't i didn't start going till 73 but because i wasn't even born until 67 but i remember um seeing programs that where jimmy was mentioned and i'm pretty sure that he got rookie of the year um and again i, I love my audience because they always correct me when i'm wrong but um you know i think that's i think that's how it went and in uh and now he, so I did not know that he had a sprint car to start with because the first car I remember, of course, again, when I started going in 73, but I think he had it before that, was the upright kind of car um, that uh, right. Ron McLeod was. Right, right, right. So I guess, I guess just to transfer is like yeah. upright backslash sprint car. Um, oh. I have the, 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 Trimble, the Trimble sprint car or upright. Um, actually, Tom York drove the car when it was in the Midwest, which was a sister car of one that Todd Gibson drove, which was a zero. Okay. And, I, and I still have pictures of that behind the existing pit grandstand at Sandusky Speedway. Oh, wow. And actually, I still have the race car. The You still have the upright? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Is so is it still intact? Is all of it kind of intact? Um I I um my my friend uh Dave Voss, Julio, um and Steve Burns, um they they helped me take it apart after my dad passed away. He always wanted to restore it and we've actually sandblasted the frame, repainted it. And basically Jimmy D Jimmy D went through the engine, um 
Todd Stoll gave me an old small block fuel injection for it because they didn't have any small block stuff anymore. Oh wow! And it's and it's probably seventy percent back together again. Wow! Um, but you know, it's 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 been a project. We started getting it together, and then I got back. I think a couple of years. I took a couple of years off racing the the race car, and that you know that took priority over restoring anything. So basically, it's become a catch all again. Okay, but right. It, it's uh something something for the future to go someplace. <laughs> oh, that's awesome! I had no idea that you still had that that car was still even around. Um, and so was that car at one point considered a sprint car? Or I mean, I'm just trying. To... Um, it, I th- I think it's so. I think well, I think I don't know if it was Trumbull. I don't know all. If you talk to Pat York in Ohio, okay, he knows he he's. He knows the history for sure because okay. his dad drove the car. Um, but it's like in, in being Midwest, he he knows a lot more of the history of it. Um, but I think they used to call it like a triple sprint car, and then when we got it, we just called it upright because you're sitting upright over the engine. Okay. And then you got it, and then you got it, and then the uprights like Todd Gibson, and the Midwest guys and Swift and those guys got into the roadsters, which means they started moving right. the engine a little bit to the left. It went to like an eight inch offset to the left, and then he started you know, planting the guys down closer to the ground so you weren't upright over the drivetrain like a sprint car. Okay. So so that car was the car that McLeod was driving when I started. And then um, I think uh, after Ron drove it, I think uh, your dad had built a car and I, and, and, and I was trying to, again, remember, and I my brain wants to tell me Johnny Michaels drove it for a bit. And then Eddie Bell ended up driving it. And I think both of them had crashes in that car and Bell ended up they over a classic or something in the mid seventies, they brought the upright back out to try to qualify it on classic Dan. I think Eddie Bell was driving it. And then I don't remember it coming back again until a guy named Rob styles had it or drove it Mm -hmm. as a blue zero. And I think that was like the, end of its competitive period how far off am i on that probably way off oh uh, no you're you're pretty accurate i'm thinking in oh, between good. there um yeah yeah that that really i think was right i think john sheridan might have drove the car once or twice oh wow okay I don't uh, remember that. robbie styles ron Mc, of course ron mcleod yes for the most part i think um Geez, I don't even think my my dad was fortunate to have a couple pretty decent friends around town like Swift and uh, he was friends with Baldy Baker. I think a couple a couple different people had tried the car at different points, just for a, a trial and error thing. And of course, he never had a lot of money, so he always you know um, like I'll say like a Jimmy Winks and numerous other guys. They you know they were uh, successful race car drivers. They kind of moved on to being able to uh, race better equipment than probably my dad could put underneath him at right. that time. Yeah. But that was always, I just, and, it, and it's funny because I, I, when I think back, you know, when you're, when you're five, you know, when you're watching the cars and you're looking at the cars, you aren't so aware of you, you see the differences, but you're not so aware of like, now I look at pictures of that 32 car that upright. And it's like, Oh my gosh, that, like, how did anybody even get that around the racetrack? Because it's so high and it's so, like, I can see the un, and understand and appreciate the mechanical differences between that and, say, like you said, the Roadster-type car. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but I think it was cars like, it was, it was, it was, and I, I said on my last show, 
that I think what made the 70s to me the most um, interesting decade was that you had all that variety racing at the same time. And it really made it interesting to uh, to go and watch the Supers run because you had so many different styles of car. Yeah, it, it was. Uh, I remember. I remember it more so when we went. When I, I remember that a lot at Oswego, but it was more um, noticeable when we used to race like Oswego um, Saturday night, and then there used to be a race on at Bolton on Sunday. Oh yeah, and then you'd get you know get some out of town guys come out with and put their wings on. So now you had a few more, like like Ali, Ali Silva had more like yes. upright, yeah, upright Zero. for years. And um, of course there was like some guys in the Midwest. I think there was Bruce Roby and Tom Marks always ran sprint cars out yeah. at Sandusky. But so there was such a variety because it could be more competitive with a wing on when like it's back like the mid seventies now. When when Isma got rolling, you get an intermix of different cars. But I I got pictures of like Fulton to see the upright going around Fulton with a wing on a car, and then see like Swift's car and Champagne's car. You see all these low squatty cars yeah. wings on them, and all these strange, really strange. Um, you went from you know bull horns to moose horned yeah. cars and long and narrow wings and things in the back, and then you got into some rear engine cars when you got later in the seventies. It was it was pretty pretty weird it was almost like going to my first experience at thompson with the midgets because they had the badgers and they had the sprint cars and you had a couple that were kind of like little roasters okay a huge intermix of different style looking cars it was cool yeah it was that was just such a a, a fun time back then and now how old would you have been during that period like in the 70s um well so, well, I was ten. I was ten in seventy-five. Okay, so yeah, so, so you were just—you weren't even driving yet, let no, alone racing. No, no, no. I was, you know, racing whatever I could. I, I was pretending I could race either on my bicycle or on my lawnmower <laughs> yeah. or whatever. He'd get up to try to make it go faster at that point, <laughs> thinking I could race. <laughs> now, was it always? I assume it was always on your mind from the time you could, you know, think clearly that that you wanted to someday get into your dad's car or go race a car. Oh, uh, yeah. Super. I mean, I mean, when I was, you know, five to ten years old, my it was a big wheel, and my sister and I would go in our cellar. And we could go around in a circle around the staircase in the yeah. cellar, and we'd bank off the walls, and <laughs> we'd race. And we actually had flat spots in our big wheels from trying to lock the brakes up and sliding around and race each other around the cellar when we were just That's little. Fun. <laughs> That's fun. <laughs> yeah. Go 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 as fast, and hopefully you can stop without really causing a lot of destruction. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, big wheels were awesome. <laughs> had one of those. It's just like you. You know, those that there again, you go back in that period of time and now you see, you know, kids grow up and we got eye racing. Right. It's, it's yep. just, you, you yep. know, you don't have to leave your room to uh, yep. compete in the Indy 500. Um, it's crazy. But but uh, OK, so your your dad uh, obviously kept going right into, uh, you know, and through you had um, that 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 one car that, that I remember Michaels and. Eddie Bell driving, I think, uh, was the 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 car that Mark Letcher started eventually running for your dad, if I remember correctly. And um, so I've got to ask the question, what was it like to spend time around 
Mark Letcher, because I think that man is one of the funniest individuals I've ever met in life, let alone in the sport of uh, racing. Yeah, Mark, Mark is like, uh, he's like that uh, crazy uncle that I have. You know? he, he <laughs> That's is, a great he is way that to describe guy. him, crazy uncle. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's a great yeah, way to there's, describe there's Mark. There's more you don't want to tell stories about Mark than you want to tell some days, I'll tell you what. He's always, <laughs> he's always got something uh, that will make you – hold your eyes a little bit more wider open or think to yourself, I'm not going to repeat that one. <laughs> but, but you know what? I feel like he's also probably the one of the most underappreciated drivers that's ever raced in a Swiggo too, because um, I'm not sure he ever actually got a feature win. At least I don't remember that, that he did, but boy, oh boy, yeah. could he get the most out of a piece of equipment? Yeah, he, he, he did not have any, he did not have good luck no. at all. Um, I think I think is one. I think is I know this for certain because I know he comes he comes at least to the shop at least once a month, and I know his one his one feature win was at Waterloo Speedway. Okay. Okay. So I mean that's that's what I know, and you know of course knowing the whole family and Shirley was an awesome lady as well. Yes, yeah, she was. Um, and of course she was Larry Nye who raced the modifieds for years. Was there was her brother. I mean, oh, I didn't know that. So. so yeah, there's so many. There's so I never many knew that. People in and out, and um, that car. That car was actually the car that Johnny drove. Michaels um, actually only got finished in like 1976, mm-hmm. and I think with the help of Gene Young and you know, which which worked with Nolan Swift and shit. My father worked at Li- in Liverpool at, at a tool company, and he oh, lived, okay. Or he worked actually right next to Champagne's Auto Parts, and then oh. Nolan Swift had his shop right up the street, and then Jack Murphy had his his shop, which was on the just the opposite side of him. So they, basically, Murphy, Champagne, and Swift were all within about three quarters of a mile working oh, I didn't relationship. Know that. So da- so so Dad always could use the, you know was always networking with these guys. Interesting. And, and um, they they helped they helped him a lot as far as making sure he had the right stuff and got it done. But with him not never really having a lot of money, it took him forever to get it done. Yeah. By the time he got the car done, it was actually the same year that Champagne came out with his new Roadster. Oh, yeah, because <laughs> so, that's so, right. That so, was so 76, that, yeah. Yeah, so so that, that, that shows you just how far behind he was just trying to get things built to try to get to the next level and become a competitive. But that's what he liked to do. He could fix anything. Interesting. Yeah. So, okay. So then I, I think that would have been the year. Um, cause I think Johnny got hurt, not in a super, I think it was in a modified somewhere and that then Eddie bell got in the car and had a crash classic weekend and on maybe on practice night. And I think that's when I remember the upright, they got the upright out for, for, um, to try to put it in on Sunday and I don't think he got in, but that's, that's the last time I remember that upright car running as a 32. The next time I remember seeing it, it was a blue number zero. And I think styles was in it. Um, yeah, you're, you're right. Yeah. I know. I know. I know somewhere's in there. Um, Eddie Bell had purchased the, uh, Helinski car from Buck Buckley, maybe. No, who, who had, I think who it, had, it, it uh, might Brian, have been Brian, Brian Osgood. Oh, Osgood. He okay. The, okay. Yeah. He bought the car from Buck Buckley and then he had, he had the Helensky. So I know there was a stint there where 
My dad helped Eddie Eddie's car. Eddie Bell's uh, Polanski was in okay. the shop with my dad's car, plus the upright. All three cars were in a little 20, 24 by 26 garage all together. Oh, wow. And, um, you know, once once one got halfway going, or then they had, I think there was a couple of times both cars had run, but typically, typically, unfortunately, one was always broken or one was yeah. out, more outdated. So the only really only one car at a time really got raced. Besides, uh, Rob, Robbie tried it for a while. He paid the bills and did that. And uh, Eddie came down from Canada and did did his deal. And um, then Mark, Mark, I think when after John, I think my dad took off like a year. I think Eddie might have been a little bit involved before Johnny. I don't, re- I don't recall. Okay. But then, I, then Johnny did get he got his he got caught up uh, practicing with AJ AJ Michaels modified. And um, ah. got messed up, messed up with the pedals, and uh, hurt his hurt his neck really bad. Oof. My father, my father just parked the car for a year, and then Johnny just finally said, "I'm not Jimmy. I'm not racing the car." And that's when uh, my dad got a hold of Mark, and my dad got together. Okay, all right. So yeah, and that went on. I mean, right into the period of time when you um, finally started racing, and I. Th- think if i remember right by then it was i think there were two weren't weren't that i think that car was was that car gone or did mark still race that and you had a different one there was i know there because you obviously had two cars yeah we we um we had that car and i had i had the holinsky my dad had gotten the holinsky i think um i had rebuilt the whole front end of the holinsky that it was wrecked Oh. And I was gonna, I was actually gonna race that. Then that car got wrecked again. So I think Mark jumped in the Holinsky car for a little while because that was almost ready to race. And then at that time, I also Ron Gabsky had bought the last Swift car. Yes, fifty-one. Um, okay. And and, and he, Ronnie and uh, you know Ron Ron's also like Mark. He's like another one of my my you know uncles. Okay. Father, father figure, uncle. I mean, these guys are all John Sheridan, Ron Gapsky, Letcher. I mean, we're all, you know, true blue friends of Murphy family. We were like, we're all super close family. Awesome. Um, they, so he ended up with a Swiss car. We fixed that and worked on that. And then, uh, one of my other friends actually started, I think this has got to be about my junior, senior high, high school year. They had the initial show car. Wedge car, which is like I think Tobin had one. There was like I think four or five cars. Okay. That um, I think Shulik had one. The uh, what was it? Uh, it was the asphalt, the forty nine car he ran. Okay, Sternberg. It was, was Lavadi's car. Oh, that one. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. So they 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 all had that wedge, that wedge, that wedge front end or that wedge frame right next. Okay. To so I ended up with I ended up my friend that helped them build that car it was helping Gapsky. And he decided he wasn't going to race, so these guys ended up giving me this. Sh- I actually had a show car, and oh. I kind of went from my ground my ground floor up with that. Oh, nice! Um, that that's when I started actually building my own first car. Because so I remember my 18th birthday present from my dad was a piece of 6061 T6 aluminum plate that was like 18 by 24 inches, and he took Mark and wrote "Happy Birthday." And that was the torque part, the torque plate I built to put in that car for my very first race car that I actually was involved with building. Oh, okay. So, so 
So you built, you actually built a car. That would have been, I guess, the second car you raced then, right? Because you said, yeah. You, yeah. No, that was actually the, that was actually my the first car I actually raced. That was actually the, the thirty one car. Okay. Before I got before I got into the Graves cars. Gotcha. Okay. Wow. And that and that that car is still in a barn up in uh central just north of Central Square there. I was just up there today. Oh wow! Terry, Fer, Ter, Terry Ferguson has that. Um, okay. And that's all. That's all in a barn. Probably somebody's ever get someone never gets their hooks into them. They could restore a car like a like a show car or like one of the cars I had. Also, last I knew, it was still alive. It wasn't. It wasn't like buried in the ground. Okay. <laughs> wow. That's like yeah. Because I just. I mean, the more of the old ones we can preserve, right? That's uh, the history is just. Um, it's just too good to not, uh, so that's, that's, so you've got a couple of the old Sewell cars. Um, and then, yeah. Okay. So then you, 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 the Graves car was obviously the first car that that was the car that kind of took you to the top literally and kind of really launched this whole sort of chat long chapter of your career as a driver. And, and then as an owner, um, as well. And so, I mean, it, you you had great success as a driver, and I and it, mm-hmm. it what made you decide to sort of um, step out of the the driver's seat and start putting other guys in to become a, a car owner. Uh, it, it, it well when dad when dad got sick and and then he you know he basically the the way it worked out was that we. The second car we had was a newer car that, that Mark and Dad were racing, and I still had the show car. We went to Jennerstown, and Mark went out of the ballpark, and basically that car was, was done. Oh dear! And Freddie Graves, Freddie Graves had talked to me probably a year, year and a half before that, and said, "Just sell that car and just tell me how much you get for it, and I'll build you a new car." So Freddie had been working on me for like a year and a half, two years about. I'll build your car. You need a better car. You need a better car. Ah. So, so it came, it came to be is, you know, Doug Sonier said to me, you ought to buy that car. It's a good car. Cause he drove it to Jennerstown and Hebron and Freddie had the car and it came up for sale and I had Pirates Cove helping me out. We hit, we finally got a really good engine, um, from Melchior at that time. And, uh, we just, I, I made the plunge and bought the car. And I had made the down payment on the car, I think, at Syracuse, before Syracuse. Uh, That's when we still raced dirt there. And I think Hebron won at Syracuse, and we finished maybe third with the 31 car, the show car over there. Okay. And and so it was kind of it was kind of fun for me. It's like, wow, that's pretty cool. I have two cars in the I got two cars in the show. Then we went to Jennerstown, and Dad lost his car. And then dad, at that point, dad, just like, okay, I had, I had enough. He just didn't have the energy to build another car. And that's when I finally got to put the 32 on my car. <laughs> oh, so okay. It, yeah, so, so that, that's how that really evolved. It was always just kind of like, and if we, if we had two cars, it's still been running a 31 car. But when, when dad and Mark lost that last car, it just kind of said, okay, time to, time to help the kid out and, and put all our put all our uh, eggs in one basket, so to speak. Okay, so the 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 Graves car that you had then was the old blue number one. That yep. Okay, 
I didn't see. Yeah. I didn't. Re- I, I'm sure I probably knew it at the time, but I had forgot. I'd forgotten it. Um, that 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 was actually that car because then I remember that's when. Uh, what do they? Call? They had the black car the next year with Dougie, and I think they called it the limo or something like that. They had a nickname for it. I can't remember what it was. But um, yeah. okay, so that would have been '89, I guess. Yep. Right? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. And you ran for a good number of years before, I mean, and, and you know, um, and ran up front and, and um, I mean, talk about your career a little bit and some of the highlights and the things that you remember about uh, your time in the seat. Oh, I, I mean, there was, the, the one thing I remember about it is just, it was, it was just crazy competitive. I mean, cra- crazy competitive. I mean, like that's you know that's when the Swigo was like you know twenty six or twenty eight thirty cars on a regular yeah. night. Um, you you ran heat races, semis, and a and a Concy and yeah, those you know, were the those days. days. You ran the you ran the Concy getting the feature, and you know they handicapped eighteen cars, and and it's like and you'd see people like you know Bentley or Lauren Conium, Eddie Bellinger, you know, just, just to name a few of them, just go from the back to the front, and you know, to race. And I, I grew up, I guess when I started, I was racing Mike Muldoon and Doug Didero and Dave, you know, uh, geez, Dave McKnight and AJ Michaels, all of us started, Gary Morton, we all started about the same time. And then yeah. we're still racing against, we're still racing against Eddie and Steve Joya and Joe Gorska already had some experience. And it's like, it's like whole, I mean, just the, the talent level and Schulich was coming from Ohio and yep. family would come from New England and, and like, it just, it was just crazy fun, competitive. Well, um, and you know, and I, I guess, so being from nothing when my dad was just happy with showing up to the races with just being there, he yeah. was happy. Um, my friend, my friend and I, Sarge, who helped me since ever, since forever, we just said, "Hey, we're not doing this to. We weren't. We weren't in. We were in it to win it. We just wanted to win a race. So in 1990, I think we won. When we won a feature, yeah. Um, I really sight that was the sight for the whole the whole career was to win a feature. Once we once we, I had reestablished what my next goal was, because it's, it's like I did. I was focused on doing that alone because that was such a big accomplishment from." where our family had been racing wise compared to what we had gotten to. So I've had to like basically, I guess, reappraise and reset goals through my whole career. Okay. Um, to, to see, Hey, what's next? Cause you accomplish one goal. You got to set your, your sights on another one. And when, like and going back to your question, uh, stepping back from it, when dad, when dad passed away, I just realized, you know, it's so tough to pay the bills, to work on the car, to do everything else, plus drive the car. And, and I knew I was, knew I had really good equipment. Um, I just needed to take something off my plate. My family was getting bigger. Um, my wife was still putting up with me and, you know, I, I've, I've got an excellent wife. I got excellent kids. And it's like, it was time to like, you know, I can have my cake and eat it too. I can step back and be successful as an owner and do what I really love to do. And then uh, put a really great race car driver in the car. And that's kind of where I got to. Who was your first? Uh, because again, much like your dad, you've had a number of great drivers in your car. Mm-hmm. I want to, I remember Gary Albritton first, but I, I gotta believe there was somebody before Gary. 
Um, he was he he raced the car for us in ninety in ninety three. I took a year off that year. Okay. And, we, and uh, that was our first ever Ismo win with Garrett was uh, with Gary at Shangri La. Okay. Was he your first driver though that you actually had in the car beside yourself? Yep. Oh yep. wow! I'm on a roll today. Um, okay. Yeah. Cause I, I was trying to think back and I, and I, I'm like, gosh, I know he had to put somebody in before Gary, but okay, good. Um, yeah, that, I mean, what was that like to just sort of be an owner? Was it, did you miss driving for a while or had you kind of reached the goal of winning the feature and it was like there good enough? Um, I, I was there, but I think, I think that, um, I think at that point in 93, um, my Barb and I had we were on our we were on our third going on our fourth kid at that point, and it just like you know going I don't know. Anybody knows anything about families? When you go when you have two kids, you know it's always equal. But when yeah. you go to the third kid, you, you, there's always an odd man out. Oh, so like in '94, in '94 Nicole came along, so we were one and one with the kids, and then in '94 our our, th- our third child came along. And it's kind of like, oh, well, this is just chaos anyway. So I went back racing myself in 94. <laughs> but we just tried to take a step back. Um, we had just bought our first house in 90. We were race, race, race. And, you know, we're getting adjust, adjusted to the kids that are like, what, four and six years old. And it just a lot of demands. Okay. Um. So so that's why, that's why I stepped back. And I said I couldn't take it anymore being, what was I, like, two, it, 25 years old or so of them 20 20 and and, and it's like ah I, you know it kind of like I, I wanted to race even though i wasn't racing so once we got to the end of the 93 season it's kind of like yeah i need to race a car i just can't i can't stand sitting here working on it and not not being able to have have the fun of being strapped in okay and so so you made a comeback basically um, and that, that's funny. Cause I don't remember you see, that's what my memory is like leaving me. I don't remember you getting back in the car. So you actually kind of had a Renaissance getting back in the car. And then eventually, obviously you got back out of the car again. Yep. I think, I think 90, I think 98 was probably the last year that I raced the car full time. Okay. 98 or 99 and then kenny then kenny bell kenny bell he had the two cars we had built another graves car and i got kenny bell so we could uh cover the whole isma trail and cover the whole oswego schedule okay and i think i stayed i stuck around at home and uh raced raced all the oswego stuff and kenny went went on the road and ran most of the isma stuff and then we cut back again and kenny was the first full-time driver that i had when i finally kind of stepped away completely from even though i drove once or twice here and there between them i really kind of stepped out of the seat at that point okay and so from from kenny it's like you've you've had this rotation of or succession i guess i should put it uh of 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 drivers and all of them just to me ultra ultra talented um i mean i think what timmy J right for a while and yep yep Timmy, Timmy, Timmy J. I think was about a three, about three. When he started, about eleven, twelve, about three years. Eleven, eleven, twelve, and thirteen. Okay. Um, Timmy drove for us. Um, you know, we're, I mean, I've had a lot of. I've been fortunate to have a lot of great. I mean, 
I've had Louis, Louis Saccone, oh, um, right. drove the car. Joey Payne's drove the car. Jeffrey Abel's drove the car. Jamie Letcher's drove the car. Um, Bobby Santos drove the car. Randy Rick, Riskus drove the car. Interesting. Um, ooh, who am I, who am I forgetting? But I mean, we, we basically, we, we've been, you know, except for maybe, um, one one super bad wreck at Oswego with an Isma Isma. Um, basically, all the drivers have had, you know, been right there competitive, competitive just about winning races. So we've been very fortunate with all the talent I've had helping out. Russ Wood drove the car, um, but you know, but unfortunately, there's been a lot of there's been a lot of bad days too. We haven't been able to stay on a sustained streak of, you know, uh, success. I don't think anybody. It's hard to sustain. It's hard to have a sustained streak of success when you when you do it as long as you know you've done it and and kind of if you look at the whole you know you and your dad. But um, it's hard because you're always going to have those up and down years. Um, gosh, I don't a number of those drivers. I just I don't remember driving for you. That's awesome to learn some of that and and a lot of different personalities too. Uh, and you know in that in that mix. Um, and you know, so that, that I'm sure that's that's been a blast. You had, I think Ben Sites too, right? Yeah, Ben. Ben was Ben was uh, Ben. Took, we had the um, the the year the I think eleven, twelve, and thirteen with Timmy J. Yes. Um, you know, our first I think you know Kenny Kenny Bell won uh, a race for us at Sandusky, and I think oh two. I think it's O two, O two, or O two, and then Noki. Of course, Noki. Don't forget about Noki. Oh, that's no, right. No, you had no, Noki Noki's, a while. Noki's, Noki's the one that, like, you know, he he uh, he went on a tear for quite a few years with us. Yes, he, 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 he was. He's incredible. Um, but they, you know, Kenny, then Noki, um. Then Timmy J. Timmy J. got in there for about three years, and I think at the end we had we had one year with Timmy J. Um, we we came so close with Nokia of almost winning his, a points championship, and we had some bad luck at Star. Okay. And we we just came, you know, we close but no cigar on the Isma championship with Nokia, and then um, Timmy J. and us had a had a legitimate shot at Thompson, and we wrecked the car. I think in twelve. And then and and it, and it just like he 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 really he got really shook up bad when the car the car of it uh, Thompson going into three okay and it tore it tore up the car pretty pretty bad. And in thirteen we just struggled with the car the car was just never really came back around to being the same so we ended up um, I talked to Butch Valley Butch Valley had gotten together with Brian at, at that point and uh, they started building us a chassis. And they, they talked to me at the end of the year. Timmy, Timmy had enough. The season was terrible on 13 with a car. So then Brian, Brian called and said, Hey, would you let Russ drive the car? And Russ drove the car at Star and Russ, and we wrecked the car and Russ got hurt. Oh boy. And that basically, that basically just, that destroyed that car. So basically there was no, I mean, that just, we basically, we had the four wheels on the wing. It was basically all it was really usable on the car when we got all said and done. Ouch. And so then it was basically starting to build a whole brand new race car all over again, which Butch and Brian got the frame done. So that we had like, I don't know, four or five years 
and then Timmy, Timmy, you know, Timmy can't, can't wait forever for me to get the car done. He went on to Howie and then uh, we got the car done. We uh, got Ben to drive the car for a couple of years. Okay. And is that the car that you have now? Correct. That car is one of the most beautiful pieces of equipment I've ever seen. I mean, the, the colors, the, the way that the, the, the chassis, you know, the way that it's shaped, um, the, the, the sort of back end slope, which I'm, I'm, I've never been a fan of, of taking off the tail. Um, and I know, you know, that kind of came in and, and that's, you know, just my opinion. It doesn't matter. Um, but you found a way to uh, that, that car is beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Thank you. We, we take a lot of time, you know, we, we figure it doesn't take it. It doesn't take any extra that much extra time to make go make it go from good to, you know, excellent. Make it look yeah. beautiful. Well, I agree. And and uh, you've always. I mean, I'm not saying uh, not disrespecting any of the other cars because all of your cars, even your dad's cars, were always. Uh, I love the shade of blue. Um, you know, and and just always were nice looking cars. Um, and but that car, I just is one of my favorite cars. It seems like. Uh, when I first saw pictures of it, it, it seemed like the car was shorter than some of the other cars. But it, I'm sure it isn't, is it? Um, no, it, it's not. It's basic, basically without without having um, the way the design of the car is. The fuel cells are up, I guess, more more uh, forward or in front of the rear axle. Oh, okay. And 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 with the back of the car being abrupt with no. No tail. There's no tail or anything on it. It just makes it it makes it look very short in the back. And then I then I had um, taken um, the time to actually um, I chose not to just run the wedge the hood you know from the front of the cowl straight down and run it more flat. Okay. So so the hood of the car and everything is a little bit more level. So it, so it makes it makes kind of the front the front of the car look a little higher. Okay. Which makes it, I'm sure that makes it look a little bit larger in the front than the back so it, it depending on the angle it does look very squatty from the back of the car it's just interesting because i first like i said the first view i saw of it was like a side view um and and it i'm like wow this car looks short but it it, it you know just it's just the shape of it i guess that makes it look yep. that way so yep. now you've uh, you've done at least a little bit i believe if if i remember you you put the oswego tail on it uh, a time or two um how does the car handle how does it drive with with that uh that setup um well we um we 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 thought we were okay a couple years back we ran up we ran classic and the car ran pretty good when the sugo first put the um tails on the back of the car yep but then um then then um mo mo started driving the car for us Yes, Moluji. that's right. Moluji, and yeah. it just, I think that the regulars of the Swiggle figured out how to make the tail work better on the car. Okay. And we lost a little bit of ground not being there weekly. And gotcha. it seemed like we, we got it. We, we, we were searching too much. We were going to run both classics last year. And we were just so terrible. The first classic, I just said, ah, I can't, I can't, can't spend the money on uh, with no R and D on it, it can't. It can't just want to go and show up. Just be a has been and not even 
be remotely competitive because the the last spring classic last year we were just terrible. Yeah. So it was at the year before that I thought we were really good. Um, last year we were, or maybe it was two years because I think twenty was a wash because yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Last year Swigo was just it was just we were pathetic, so we just said no. Step away until we got more time to put some time and effort into some shocks and some different things for the car that it seems to need to be more competitive. So is is that something you would consider doing again? Um, maybe maybe in here in twenty two. Are you gonna? Are there any plans to run um, a swiggle at all? Without I mean, other than I'm sure you run uh, the wing shows. Um, we we haven't. Um... I haven't really put a lot of emphasis on it because I am making some changes to the car this winter. Um, and you kind of got to, I mean, that would be later in the year. Okay. And I think with, with the way the ISMA schedule um, kind of washes out and, you know, uh, Mo has been, you know, excellent about uh, making the commitment of traveling and, you know, he's got a young family as well. So, okay. Kind of, we kind of. I was fortunate last year. I picked up a couple. Uh, I have a couple Ohio based companies that help us help us out sponsorship wise. Oh, nice. So, so we we tried to run some of the M, the MSS races at Lorraine and stuff that are close to Mall. And then in turn, you know, he's he was traveling the whole Isma circuit with sure. us. So you know, you know, I don't know, you know, if we can make every single weekend, we wouldn't probably race the Swigo if we did a Swigo until um, midway or the later part of the year and that would probably probably more dependent on how much success we had through the season you know whether we we felt uh, we could take the gamble and be competitive okay or or we're just going to be you know fish out of water again i got you it makes sense um okay so uh this brings us to your new role as the president of ISMA, and I'm sure that with that uh, has come a lot more work on the plate, right? Um, you know, it, because obviously when you're running an organization like that, it takes a lot. Um, what uh, what what are your sort of plans, priorities? Um, talk about some of the things that you would like to do with ISMA and the direction that you'd like to see it go uh, under your stewardship. Well, I guess I'll just start with the most fun I ever had racing super modifieds was when you could race Saturday night at Oswego and you could pack up your car and go to another race on Sunday with a wing on the car. That was just fun. Amen. Um, unfortunately, um, because of the cost of things and you know every you know everybody's life you know everybody changes as they they get older yeah. or you know. The families grow, you know, people just are not, the commitment isn't there to race every single week anymore. Right. So, so you can't just, and it's, and it can, you know, you have to spend with a super modified, everybody's either spend a lot of money to buy the parts or spend a lot of time to build the parts. Right. You can't just go to a catalog and buy the parts. So, it's it's you can burn people out very quickly. So I think with ISMA, um, with with COVID and the cost of things and and people less willing to have time to travel as much, um, we've become a little bit complacent about 
thinking, you know, Ismo is always strong, had a lot of cars, and it just can't, we we allowed it to just get complacent. Yes. And let it, let it go organically like it's going to grow. So, you know, you're not, we got to put some effort into it. And, you know, that's, so where I'm stepping in now is, um, I wanted to probably take the challenge more when I was retired from my regular job. Um, okay. But Isma needs the help now. So I'm, you know, I'm going to put my, I'm going to put forth my best effort with it. Um, you know, the website needs to be better. Um, you know, you need to get the exposure out to there. I mean, not only for the racetracks, but for the Isma organization. Yes. So, so we can gain the exposure and get people to help. And, you know, we got to get back into this, um, family atmosphere of super modifies again that's been missing that you know yes. it just seems to be there's uh people have drawn lines in the sand instead of being a big community of racers that all have the same common thoughts people have become selfish about them of what they want to do instead of looking out for the guy next door Preach and it, what can brother. make us how we're all going to be successful together exactly we're not, we're not going to be successful by you know individually so you know and, and i i've said this before you know, a champion is a champion because, he, you know, he, he was competitive and he beat people. Well, I've, I've never been a champion, but I've been one of those guys there to make sure there's been a show so there could be a champion. Right. So we, we need more people to participate so we can, you know, keep our ch- keep these champions going. <laughs> it, I agree. So it, ta- it takes everybody to do this and fighting amongst ourselves and uh, not supporting what's good for the, the bigger cause is kind of what's, you know, been kind of hurt, kind of hurt super modifieds in general over, over the years. So you know, we can't have, we can't afford to have this, the segregation um, like, like it's been allowed to uh, prosper or grow in the, in the recent years. I, boy, I I am so glad to hear you say all that because um, I mean I believe that for a long time. I mean I I I remember back when Isma first decided to go do their own thing that I I said um, and was very I felt very strongly that 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 was not ultimately going to be a good move. And I think for a long time there were more than enough cars and more than enough people willing to sort of still compete at Oswego and compete at ISBA. And then, of course, you get, you know, this organization over here. And now, of course, we have another one with with the new New England group. Um, and, you know, I think that the, the only way that big block super modified racing is able going to be able to sustain itself long term and to have a hope of growing is you can have different groups as long as everybody works together in terms of i think rules should be the same i think i mean you you just you want to be able to go from here to there to there and have everybody compete um you know and and not have to have all these differences to me i mean what are your thoughts at this point and what are you planning to do um as the isma president to kind of um help maybe bring some of that about and and at least um uh, kind of, you know, hope to have good, friendly terms amongst uh, the various groups and, and everybody working on the same page. Well, um, I, I think uh, the the Midwest group and, and ISMA um, talk often, 
and you know we've tried to um embrace some of the same rules even if they aren't the same yeah to to help to help others along and then you know isma isma in itself has looked at the schedules i mean like with john nicotra yes you know, he worked he worked closely with oswego to get some isma races in there um without without stepping stepping on stepping on their weekly racing um and so in the in the future you know what i would like to do is i'd like to i'd obviously like to see these the, the oswego regulars be able to i want to, i want to love the, all of them to be more competitive with the wing on the car yes and, and i would also like to have like these other venues i'll say like a jennerstown or berlin to get back to maybe an off weekend from oswego so that the guys have the option they can go to these races without without burning people out from racing every single weekend so right my 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 i guess brainstormer concept to begin with for 2023 because i'm like some things i didn't i didn't really have a lot of um persuasion or involvement in you know where the schedule's at this has started like way last year right and it, it is what it is now that we can't really go back and change it just make them the best shows possible um, but you know, maybe 2023 and ISMA is going to be look like uh, more like a, a World of Outlaws model, where there's going to be a Sandusky Classic and there's going to be a Star Classic, and then we're going to have a, a New York Speed Weeks and a Midwest Speed Weeks and a New England Speed Weeks, so Very that we nice. can get the best of the best across the country and yes. race, you know, two or three days in a weekend, and that in itself should allow people to travel once, twice a year across the country. And then we can get all the, the the highest caliber super modified people there to compete. Yes, boy, I love this. I love this so much because that's I've always you know I've been I've been thinking that you take the Oswego Classic, the Star Classic, the Sandusky Classic, and maybe you have you know something in the Midwest. You know, I I loved what what IRP tried to be, and you know that just ended up. I mean, there can that was ended up being right after COVID hit and and just couldn't have been worse circumstances um you know but i i I think you have three or four like big time races to me that you try to make them like a an all-star sort of feel out of and then you know it doesn't even have to be actually television it can be it, it certainly live streaming is as good i mean throw it on flow or wherever but you know make them big shows and kind of make it its own thing and and um i mean to me that makes good sense and let everybody go and compete at those events and <clears throat> excuse me, give the fans the best of what mm-hmm. super modified racing is. I mean, what do you think? Yep. I mean, there's, I mean, I've, you know, I, of course I know John and Eric Teresi. Now, have I talked to them in the last few days, a few weeks or a couple, couple months? No, but you know, they're diehard super modified guys. Absolutely. You know, and I'll tell you, Jeff Striegel out at Berlin Speedway, he, you know, the, the people, the people in Michigan are just like drooling to have super modifieds. Um, Billy down at Jennerstown Speedway, just drooling to have super modifieds. Sweet. So, you know, we, we, we need all, we need, we need John and Eric and Billy and Jeff to all be successful. Bobby Weber be, be successful. Yep. You know, um, uh, Mike Parks out of Claremont be successful. So, you know, we, we don't have a lot of races this year, but they're going to be really good races with some high end 
record book competition. Trust me. Would would Isma would 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 because you've got some tracks in New York that possibly could be, you know, a Lancaster or a well. Um, whatever they call it now, I think they changed the name. Um, Spen- uh, Spencer, you know, you've got some tracks up there other than Oswego. Would would you c- maybe consider um, bringing Isma back closer to? Because that's kind of how it started, right? I mean, it was it was yeah. a, a driver's group, and then they started, you know, with a few New York shows, then Canada, then you know, um, would yeah. you would you consider something like that maybe down the road? Um, well, if the, if it weren't for the fact if it I guess if I had, if I had had more time to uh, jump in with both feet, like I, and basically I, I kind of um, assumed the presidential position of Isma the first of the year. Yeah, um, I've been in contact with Lancaster. Yes, they are. Oh, they cool. are very interested in being on the card in 2023. Sweet. Um, but with being a traveling organization, you can't just keep throwing. You can't. You know, everybody. We wanted to have the. Uh, I think for 2021, the ISMA schedule wasn't released until like January 8th. So, but what we did this year, you know, like I say, I didn't, I didn't assume the position until the first of the year. However, I was working on it the first of December. Okay. And, you know, and we got a schedule released before Christmas. So that when people were with their families and friends and crews, they could plan on, Hey, this is what the schedule is going to look like. So people can plan for it because it's so much vacation and time spent to get to these races and especially travel travel wise you know you want to have it well calculated because it's not a cheap endeavor besides the fact that your race your race car is not inexpensive either right right so so you know what you know next year you know um the all the promoters i've spoken with you know we want to our goal is next year is get to around november 1st like we're going to have what our 2023 schedule looks like so excellent um even even uh you know even even some of the tracks that we're not at this year you know we're already we're already going to keep in contact with each other and uh look forward to you know strategically making a plan for 2023 to get get more racetracks back on the isma card i love it yeah i mean i just think i mean and i know you know let's kind of put the cards out here i know that uh the new england series they're they're doing the the uh spec motor deal and and uh they were kind of um looking at maybe some other small changes but i'm not sure how many of those are actually going to get made um and um you know it would be nice if all the groups could work together and not you know not try to step on each other because uh you know i feel like there's it there's room for a number, I mean, you look at late models, you look at sprint cars, you look at, you know, asphalt sprints, midgets, they all have multiple sanctioning bodies, but basically the cars are pretty much the same. So if you want to go run this sanctions race over here and then go, you know, in a week or two and run that other, you know, I feel like there's, whether it's all one group or whether it's multitude, there's still a lot of the same drivers, right? You all still and there's only so many supers. So if we could get to a point where, you know, everybody's kind of working together to make super modified racing better as a whole, instead of, like you said earlier, um, kind of being selfish and saying, well, we want to do this. So we're doing it. Um, you know, I think then you've got a chance because the, the, the small block super division is obviously growing quickly. And if you could, if you could find a way, 
again with and and I'll throw I guess this will be my next question for you because you're a car owner um to you know find a way to keep costs in line um you know in in travel's obviously a big thing so I love that you're talking about sort of less being more um you know what 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 can we do to kind of make it a little easier for the guy who has the the small block car to, to, to jump up to a big block without, you know, so much cost. Well, yeah, I've talked, I've talked with, uh, I've talked with John and, you know, the, and with, with the smack series and, you know, they've, they've got, uh, I think he said they got like nine races. Okay. And, and of course, uh, the Swigo standalone and Bobby Weber's um, got a three fifties in, in New England is a standalone group. Um, but they're they're strong. I think they started with like seven cars. This the Smack organization, I think he has got like thirty one cars. Yeah, registered now. Um, you know, there was another. That's another thing we've been in a, in a conversation of maybe, um, maybe we can for twenty twenty three can draw up a card that's going to have the three fifty supers and the Isma supers at, at the same place at the same yes. time. Yes, there down. we go. So um, we're we've already had the conversation. Um, we don't know where or when, but we're, I guess I'm juiced up for him. He's done a great job. Um, and I think it'd be great to have open, open wheel, super modifieds, you know, big and small yeah. <laughs> in one place. Um, so as far as the expense of moving them up, you know, it's just like, you know, I appreciate the, the fact of, uh, the cost of an engine, yeah. um, but you know, you got to remember, you get what you pay for. So, I don't know if rebuilding the cost of an of, a, of an engine is going to become any cheaper, if it's a, an expensive engine or it's a cheaper engine. I, you know, I've always because I don't, I've never been a high dollar operation. I put my money in the right places, so so I, I had reliability and longevity. Okay. And you know, my my only concern with like the other the other motor and you know. There's smart guys working on it. They'll figure it out. Um, is to try it to see if it will hold up. Sure. Yeah. You know, no, there's no, there's no harm, no harm in that at all. No, um, I agree. The, totally. issue, the, the issue you get into, you know, moving up, it's more than just that engine. Well, of course. Um, Tires, it, it, travel. It's uh, the dry sump system, and then you got the fuel injection, and then, you, then on top of that, now you're now you're also throwing. If if you don't have an old rotted house fuel bladder you still gotta you have to go buy new fuel bladders which you can drop anywhere from two thousand to four thousand five thousand dollars for fuel bladders you've got to you know for a rear set of wheels to put on the car aluminum wheels you're going to drop almost a thousand dollars so once you buy two or three sets of rear so so there's there's probably another you know not to scare anybody away but there's an investment there's going to be an investment to build up. Now, at the end of the day, you know, and this is, I think, Brad Litke and myself had talked about it, and I think um, Clyde, Clyde, Clyde is aware of it. Is like, you know, there's there's people that would like to get involved with with super modifieds, or would probably own a super modified, but how do you make make it so somebody could invest in one and catalog or have one if they wanted to buy one? So, right. 
even though we're bringing up the, the 350 Supers and, and we have the Isma Supers or the Midwest Supers or the Oswego Supers, we've got to get, we got to find a way to market more cars to get them out there so they're available for people to buy. Because right. we're only, we're, we're only going to bring so many out of the woodwork and then you're still only going to have 60 or 70 cars. Right. Yeah, um, so, we, you know, Hawksby's done a good job producing them. Um, but, you know, how do you, how do you get these so that we could either buy parts off the catalog or get some of them mass produce 10, 10 frames in a year so that you could, let's just say, uh, you know, just throw a, let's pretend um, Tony Stewart wanted to own one just to, to race in Michigan and have one. Um, you know, <laughs> how, how would, how would he get a hold of one? You know what I mean? It's like, no, you gotta, you can't have somebody want to, if they want to invest into a super modified, you can't say, yeah, I can, I can build you one, but you know, I'll have it to you in like a year and a yeah. half, two years. Yeah. So, so it kind of, you know, we got, we got a, there's more, there's more thinking about, you know, there's more to think about besides just the, this, the engine and everything else is like, how do you make, uh, one of these animals, alive and well and accessible so if somebody wants to get invested they can come along and do it without buying something that already exists because i mean the the production of them is probably the limiting factor if you had 10 guys wanting to get into it for next year where are they going to get the cars well it's a good point and also i would think that you if you if again I, you know mechanical i'm not a mechanical guy so um, I don't pretend to know anything about, you know, the, the individual parts or most of them anyway. Um, so I just know that supers, so much stuff is handmade that, right. you know, how w would it make sense that if you could find a way to take some of the stuff that's handmade and figure out a way to be able to look at what's universally available and sort of convert to that. I mean, is there a way to do that or do you have to literally take the handmade part and find somebody to mass produce it? Um, you know, how, how would all that even work? Because I feel like eventually that starts bringing costs down too. when you, when you're using more parts that are available in a catalog, you know, your, your costs are less. Yeah. I mean, that's that, that's where everybody involved has to put their thinking caps on and, and agree that, you know, that's where the rules being in line with each other and what you can or can't do. Right. Well, it'll help promote, um, what, what, what the, uh, outline of a super modified really is. Cause and, I, you know, you don't want to crush the creativity of it cause it's one of the most creative cars you have, but you know, it, it's not going to be, it's not a fun, it's not a fun race to watch if you have like, eight or ten cars racing in the future well yeah that's a heat race i always said that's yeah. a heat race that's not a headline division that's a heat race and you know obviously there's a <laughs> i've been a track promoter and and you know and we had an isma show at shimong the year that i was there and um i mean we had a you might even remember this, but we had a, it was one of those days where it, it looked like it was going to be a severe thunderstorm um, all day long and everywhere it rained except over the racetrack. And, you know, we didn't get a great crowd and it just was a it was a great show. You guys put on a great show, but it was it, it just was a disaster from a promotional standpoint dollar wise. And, and it's it you know, it's a tough, tough deal for a promoter to put up the kind of money that, you know, that super modifieds should 
rightfully demand, right? As a as a unique and 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 exotic and and exciting class, um, and then have you know a dozen cars show up. Yep, yep. It's it's uh, it's a it's it's not a it's not a win win. <laughs> no, it's just it's got it's got to be a win win. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So you have good car count. You got to have people in the stands so the the owners and promoters win and the and the, class, the the super modified class wins. Well, that's the thing, and it's not like you said. There are plenty of people. Like even down here, I can tell you that a lot of the younger racers that. You know, and I and I say younger racers because that's the future, right? A, a lot of those younger guys that are that are in you know quarter midgets in running um, outlaw carts at Millbridge, running you know late models, whatever. You know, when I when I talk to them about super modifieds, they've seen them on you know on Mav on Speed Sports Deal or whatever. They've seen supers, and they all they're all like, man, I'd love to race one of those, but of course. You know, it's not like it was in the 60s and 70s where you had tracks all over the country that were racing these things. Um, You know, they're not universally available and there's nothing down here, of course. So, you know, it just never goes any. It's like it's not accessible to them. But I really feel like that if if everybody could just put their own um, interests aside in favor of the larger picture of creating a renaissance in the super modified division and bringing it back that I still think that there's, there's, it, there's hope if you can make the cars, you know, again, you, you know, it's, it is tough. I mean, Tony Stewart could, you know, he can throw down for the cost of a new super and run it five times. Like that's, you know, it's just, that's just a hobby for him. Right. But yeah. Obviously, yeah. not everybody can, and you know, because I mean, your dad was, and you you are comparatively to a lot of your competitors, a, a fairly low buck, still. And so, you know, creating a way the 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 on ramps the key. If you can make it easy to onboard and get into the get into a car and be competitive, um, you know, then uh, you know, then everybody to me, everybody wins because you know, twenty four thirty cars are always better than twelve. Yep. So it's a, that, that, that's that's the challenge all the way around, right from the yes, yeah, the lug nuts to the tires to the engines to the wings. I mean, what is your okay? So it almost seems like to me sometimes that nobody wants to talk about tires. Like somehow that we shouldn't even be discussing. I mean, heaven forbid we have a conversation about not running Hoosiers, okay? And and I'm not trying to disrespect Hoosier, but I think if you're gonna if you're gonna have a conversation about costs. Okay, certainly tires aren't you know aren't cheap, and 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 right now Hoosiers the tire that that you're running. So, in your opinion, I mean there are other brands and and other schools of thought about you know do we go back to running a little harder, more durable tire? Can we make can we have a tire that's more durable? Where you don't have to buy three or four a week or whatever. What what is your thought? Again, you've been a you've been a team owner for decades, so you know what's your thought on the tire situation and and um, you know, is there maybe room for the thought of do we look at what else? Um, well, the truth is, I I mean I have I have knocked on some doors and already asked these questions. Ah. Um, okay. Uh the truth is, um there is 
there is other tires. There, there is Brand X, which is less expensive. <laughs> um, but you know, and um, however, <laughs> I, I have had the conversation with Hoosier about the cost of these tires. So, um, and they, they know, they know I have asked about the brand X. Okay. So, you know, from, so Dan's, Dan Sewell's perspective, as well as a few other people with ISMA is, you know, here's, here's the opportunity to make it, uh, affordable for people to come racing week to week is take the yes. week to week commodity cost and reduce it. Yes. Which is fuel and tires. Yes. Okay. So, you know, you can, you, you know. You can you invest in you invest in invest in good parts in your car so you so they they yeah, they last and they have longevity. Right and now 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 you have the consumables. So now now we got to look at different ways to reduce these consumables because the best way to get good car accounts at racetracks is take is to take away their week in week out cost. Exactly. Um. So, um, myself and a couple other people are looking at potential of what may or may not be able to happen for this year. Okay. Um, but we are looking at something else for next year. Um, <laughs> I love it. And might be it might be testing some tires. Okay. It might it might be, you know, maybe it's gonna be a corporate sponsor for fuel. Okay. Um, you know, but right, you know, it, but it's like I don't I don't have I don't have anything concrete, but that's that's the that's the best. That's the best way to go about it. But even if it's you know anything you do with a title or a, a manufacturer that would supply the same thing less, um, correct. Well, you know is going to help the guys, everyone, week in and week out. And you know who who's your product? Um, you know they they that's been reliable and everybody's comfortable with it. Sure. Um. But you know, I, my I, back in the 1990, um, my wife and I worked with Hoosier and brought them into Oswego, and they replaced Goodyear. Yeah. So it's it's not it's not like um, you know history can't go 360 again either. So I mean, you 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 know, you got to find out how do you get guys so they can afford to come to racetracks every week. Yeah. And you know, I don't you know I don't know I don't know what that formula is, but. I do know it it affects me just like everyone else, um, the cost of it. And, you know, when you're spending, you know, I think the, you're spending the better part of $900 a week for, for a set of tires. Yeah. And, and you, and you, and you can run mediocre and finish, you know, uh, or, or just say 14th. Yeah. And, and you're, take six hundred dollars i mean it's like okay it doesn't doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that you're probably not going to sustain this level of competitiveness very long or you're just going to take a couple weeks off and and those weeks being taken off and you know over the course of the summer you only have probably 10 12 races you know i'll just say if you ran if you ran i think if you i don't know the number for exactly sure but i'll just say if you took the ten, the ten features for ISMA, and you took the, of course, MSS and ISMA are combined on a few races, and you took a, like their additional four or five races, 
and then you take, let's say, like three or four more races for a Swigel. You're virtually only racing 20 weekends a year when you're all said and done at the end of the day. Yeah. So it's like, you know, that's less than half half the weekends a year. Now, my my own personal way of doing this is, you know, I put I, I buy good parts. So I have the longevity and they last and hopefully, you know, you got to take, you can't take into the equation wrecking the car. Well, of course, but they they got to be durable and last. So at the end of the year, if I can get a couple people that's helped me sponsor the car and I can spend out, out of pocket, out of pocket is I'll say like five to $8,000 a year. Okay. And and this isn't including my earnings, which I've already dumped back into the car. Sure. That's a successful year to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. So I'm spending about, I'll say about five, $6,000 for a year. And I had some sponsorship help. I have people, I have people to come to races. Now, you know, I'm not, I'm not one of those people like my crew. My crew has never been paid for their pit passes going to pits. They all volunteer. They all show up. They all pay their own way. Okay. The only, th- the only thing I do for them is when I go out of town and spend the night, I make sure they have a, a, a bed and a clean shower. So I'll pay for the hotel room. Right. So we do it. We do it as a team or as a group effort because without each other, without my team, I'm nothing without my team and my, and my team is nothing without me. Sure. So we could, we exist because of each other. We don't exist because I flip the bills and get them to show up to the racetrack. They all love it just as much, and that's why they do their they do what they can do to help and come and show up at the racetrack. And there's numerous teams are the same way that they don't get paid their pit pass pay to come in the pits. They they come and they show up because they want to be there, right. and that's and that's what and that's what the, the team has to offer. <laughs> so you know, unfortunately. At this day and age, like even ISMA's always been a, a voluntary um, owners association. When people volunteer for something, they want you know the next question out of their mouth is how much does it pay? Well, what do you mean? Well, how much does it pay? Just told you it's voluntary. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's like I, now I think people should be rewarded for when they earn when they earn things and do certain things. I'm not I'm not taking saying that's wrong. But it's like you know, you, you, when you when you when you when you are successful, you share you share the winnings, and when you're not, you go back together and collectively figure out how you can be successful. Right. And that's that's how we've existed as long as we have. Well, it makes sense. I mean, you know, and it gets it does get harder because you know you find you know your people that it's one thing you know the team part of it, but you know when you get. Um, you get people that travel your series and, you know, do things, whether it's, you know, race director flag or whatever, you know, PR, you know, sometimes, you know, some people like for me, it's my living. So, you know, it's hard to, and so you, you, you know, but absolutely. And I think short track racing in general is, is like that for the most part. I mean, you, you have obviously in some parts of it, you have your, your sort of arrive and drive folks that, that are, big you know outfits or whatever and pay their guys some of the guys full-time to work in the shop and go to the track whatever because people rent their cars etc like late models down here you got teams like that but um you know i just think that you said it at one point earlier you gotta put the fun back in it and you gotta get the energy and the excitement back in it and 
you know, I just think it's time for everybody to start working together again and and start mm-hmm. thinking about it as as a whole. And I love and I'm glad you said what you said about the tires, too, because, again, I, I'm not I mean, you know, I Iris Saunders um, has done a lot for for short track racing and racing in general. And I, I've he, he's a friend and I, and I think the world of him. It's not anything against Hoosier. I just think when you're when you're running a business, you know, I think it's prudent to, you know, to be um, non-emotional, you might say, about, you know, um, things, expenses. And, you know, if we, if something can be done for less money, and it doesn't even always have to be, I feel like with a tire, for example, yeah, that's it. The cost to buy the tire is one thing, but if if you could have a tire that you could run very well for two weeks, or two races or even three races compared to one race, you know, even if the cost is the same, you know, 900 bucks, you're getting more races out of it. So if you, if you could come up with a, with a, with a tire like that, then you're still saving money because you're not having to buy, you know, uh, three tires or four tires a race. Yep. Yep. You know? Yeah. It's an, 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 unfortunately, you know, just, you know, because, I just say from, you know, any, any Hoosier, any, any tire manufacturer's position, you know, um, you know, if we're, if we're only, if they're, we're only buying a thousand tires a year right. is a, is a group, you know, you're buying power in, in the emphasis on less. manufacturing yep. a better product yep. is not as much as the one is the group that's buying 5,000. Yeah. So, you know, so that, that's the main, that's the main thing going back to the very beginning is like, what I'm doing is like, hey, get get a schedule out there that people can plan on and count on and, and create you know create uh what what their what their schedule can be for the year. Yep. Second thing is get our website updated, get some interviews on there, get it juiced up, get some traffic on yep. there, get get it exciting that people want to see what's going on and, and show that there's there's an emphasis on um, people being involved in being engaged to make make uh, super modifieds exciting and what people are interested in again because it's when it get when there's not when there's nothing on there i mean keith champagne's he's done a he's done an excellent job he really has i know he's building a new one i talked to him at least what i i i won't say i talked to him once a week i probably bug him once at least once a week (laughs) to have something else be changed or updated but he but he recognizes and, and completely agrees you know how important it is to continuously have interviews and people on there yeah. and and talking about things now we got we got some things with um coming up with our with our 2021 champion um that we wanted people to see and pay attention some interviews and stuff going on on cool. the website and i've got some stuff going on with the uh some of the owners i'm, I'm hopefully have all of the owners um Owners and promoters for the ISMA races um, will all have an interview and something that we can put up on our website and Sweet. share with teams, fans, drivers, owners, everybody. But you know, we're we're getting we're getting some. I'm I feel we're getting a lot of really good juice going. You know, getting some getting some um, some of the numbness is going away and people are getting some feeling back in their extremities here. Of you know wanting to want to embrace some super modified you know methanol and rubber, 
awesome. It's like it's it's been you know it it's not going to happen overnight, but you know everybody as a whole, there's a lot of people trying and putting forth effort and recognize we need to do it now. If if we don't do it now, uh, you know it's got to happen now, or you know everybody's going to buy some hardwood and put put their race car up in the middle of a barn if he's going to drink drink around it and talk about what it used to look like. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> so, I, I agree. Dinosaurs, dinosaurs become extinct. Well, I agree. And, and, I, yep. and, I, and I, don't, I, don't, I don't really don't want to see super modifiers become dinosaurs. Well, I don't either. And, and I, I think, you know, our audience would applaud that, too, that, that, that you feel that way and you're in a position now to try and, you know, and, uh, and, and help it to to come back and to grow um and all i'll say is that um you know it appears that at some point in the next couple of years north wilkesboro is coming back and super modifieds need to be on the opening show so um you know whatever uh, i can do to help yep. that <laughs> you know i'm I think, in i think i think um Dave, i think Lori actually said that she talked to north wilkesboro um Lori may oh good if I'm not mistaken, and um, there, you know, there's some, there's some, there's some racetracks around Winchester, like you mentioned, Winchester earlier. Oh yeah, uh, they Winchester, want one. Yeah. North Wilkesboro. There, there's three or four um, names, you know, racetrack names that have been thrown out there. But we need to, um, we need to make sure we have really. Oh, of you know, course. I, I, I want to. I'd love to have a 20 car field. It, at every race this yes. year, but I mean, I'd rather have a twenty-four car field again. And, well, yeah, you know, and that, and I that's, agree. And that's yep. where we need to be again. Yep. You know that that you know that that success. Um. You know, and, and the last couple of years have kind of been tough because of the COVID crap, and and uh, people can't get across the border. And, yeah. You know, and, and you know, it wasn't even getting across the border. I mean, let's think about think about back when this first started. Oh, I know. If you left, if you left the state, yeah. you had to quarantine yeah. for two weeks. I mean, okay. So who who works a job? You know, who works a job and wants to go? You know, I was to say race in Ohio for for a weekend, come back to New York State and just say, oh yeah, I could take two weeks off. Yeah, know, because exactly. I know I got to quarantine. You know, nobody nobody knew. So I mean, it's it's tough to criticize right. anybody for it, but um, it. it well, that, it, it compromised. It, it compromised. You know, everything. Extreme, <laughs> it was an extreme compromise yeah. for, especially Isma, the people that travel. Yeah. Yep. Well, and that's what ultimately, like I said earlier, that's what happened with the IRP deal. And and um, you know, Mike was he so badly wanted to to bring supers back to Indiana, and you get you know you get that lined up, and um, you know. <laughs> And then the bomb drops and, you know, you got 13 cars or whatever and one from, you know, from New York. Um, And, um, you know, I'd still I think Indiana is still a place that should be, you know, should be mined because I think that there's enough interest in open wheel cars that if again, like you've said, if you can make make the car more universally available, make it a little less costly, um, do what it takes to um, to make super modifieds a part of the conversation again. I would think that that area, Michigan, Indiana, because there's already obviously the group MSS in Ohio. I would think that that area you you would you could see 
you know, additional growth, um, you know, but it, it's going to take time and it's going to take everybody being willing to, um, you know, to work together toward the same goal. Yep. So, um, well, Danny, uh, I got to tell you, this has been so much fun um, to, to go back and kind of relive uh, your dad's days. And, and um, you know, we I mean, I I appreciate him and you and your family. I mean, um, you know, I, I say to people all the time that um, those, you know, it, the 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 70s in Oswego, that was my childhood. And and, um, you know, and, and those guys were heroes and, and not just the drivers, but everybody that, that owned a car was working on a car. I mean, those it it allowed for us and, you know, too, to to be able to be lucky enough to live that period of time. And then, of course, going forward into the, the time period when you started as competitive as it as it was at that time, um, you know, and all the way through to now and, and to hear that you're still you have enough energy and enough uh, still, you know, passion about super modified. It's not just to keep owning a car and spending money and doing, you know, doing your thing, but also um, to to jump into the to the role with Isma and actually, you know, want to roll up your sleeves and work to to do what it takes to bring it back. Um, you know, that's awesome. And, and uh, thank you for that. And, and really appreciate you taking some time to talk to us today. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Yeah. I look forward to seeing everybody. I mean, it, you know, I don't, my, my family and my friends are all super modified people. Yeah. I, I have a few friends outside racing, but all my favorite people are around super modified. Yeah, it's, it's, well, that's, <laughs> so, yeah. so, you know, it's like, if I want to go figure out how to hang out on a beach by myself, then I can stop racing. But my friends are at racetracks and my craft, my craft is, if my if I have a race car and it's not ready to race, I don't go to the races because I figure my job is to make sure the car's ready. getting fixed to yeah. go to the races. So that that just that's how I operate. Um, I really look forward to the season. I really look forward to a, a lot of really great people from Ohio to New England, New York, and Canada. Yeah, um, in the Carolinas, just the support and um, you know. I feel I have a little bit of an advantage here being around most of these racetracks, everybody knowing the, knowing all the car. Right. Um, but networking, networking and knowing these people, I just, I, I feel I'm as much as I know it's a challenge. I'm extremely excited to see what, where we can go with this and how we can get her, get everything back in shape again yeah that would that's that's awesome i love hearing that and i know that uh obviously the audience will as well um and you know this show exists to promote super modified racing and generate interest in it and to keep the history of it alive and um you know again if if you've got you know the the, the hardest part for me with isma for a number of years has just been getting post-race info whether it's pr or whether it's you know um, we, we always love sound. So if there's somebody that can grab, you know, podium interviews and with a little recorder and just, you know, make sure I get a hold of them, um, we'll air them. I mean, we want to, you know, we want to promote as much as we can. And, and, uh, I'll have my new website up here pretty soon as well with a new brand. So, you know, be able to write stuff again and, and post written stuff. And so, you know, we, any, any way that, that, 
you know, I can help carry the, the, the ball. Um, just let me know, Danny, or, or have, I don't yeah. know who's kind of doing PR or whatever for you at this point, but I know Keith does the site and, uh, he and I shoot pool in a pool league on Tuesday nights now. Um, so, you know, he's, I've, I've seen the, the start of the new site that it looks really cool. Um, and, um, and he, uh, I know he'll he'll at least keep me uh, updated with with the PR and stuff now, and we'll you know whatever like I said whatever whatever you need if you need to you know make an announcement or something and you want to come back the door is open Danny so um, right. you know keep us updated and let us keep the fans updated. Yeah, let 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 us let Isma know too, Tom. Would you want to do a retro Tom Baker night where you want to come to an Isma show and do <laughs> run through the pits? And do interviews and reporting. <laughs> we 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 love we love to have you back. Well, any, maybe uh, any race or all of them, if you want. You maybe know, uh, well, let us know. It's uh, maybe may, I'm I'm hoping I've I've got June fourth circled for for the first uh, John Nicotra, uh deal there, the first of his. Uh, uh, races at Oswego. Um, and so, um, hopefully everything works out and I can get up there. I want to at least get to one of those. Uh, so yeah, it'd just be fun to, to come back and, and have a good time. And, and, uh, it's just like, like you, I mean, super modifieds are it. I talk about them all the time to everybody in racing that I know. And, uh, you know, it, it is surprising how, you know, like even the speed sport shows that have been done and whatever, uh, all that stuff that Oswego did, um, you know, from the time back when, when Danny was, was there at Oswego, Danny K and, and, you know, all that, like that people down here have seen all that, like they know. And, uh, and I know that if we could get something down here at, at one of the tracks again, if we could make it right. And I know obviously it won't happen this year and probably not even next year, but, um, you know, if you make it right and make it cool and get people to, to come down, um, it would be incredibly well received. There are a lot of super modified fans down here, not to mention obviously all of us who have uh, decided we hate snow enough to get the heck out and move, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and move down here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. all right, man. Well, uh, again, thank you uh, for your time and uh, for for you know being as candid uh, as you have been, and uh, gives me a great amount of hope that. Uh, the right that there's a guy now in 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 the right place that uh, maybe you know can can um, help orchestrate uh, a group effort amongst all of the different uh, folks that are uh, I guess uh, the modern term is stakeholders uh, in super modified racing to um, you know to to help um, to to bring it back and get it get more cars and get more people back into the division again so appreciate it and. Uh, uh, good luck with everything this year, and I'm sure you know I'll see you somewhere along the way for sure. Um, and uh, again, appreciate your time. Thanks, Danny. Thank you very much for your time, Tom. I appreciate it. That is Danny Sewell, and uh, we're going to step aside and be back with more of Inside Groove right after this. Okay, folks, I want to tell you about one of our sponsors here on Inside Groove, Indie Performance Composites. They're a premier composite design and manufacturing company creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Jeff West and his team are amazing. They do all kinds of work in the motorsports industry from dirt tracks to NASCAR to IndyCar, super modifieds. It doesn't matter if you've got something that you need designed or fabricated. Let them help you transform your idea, your vision and your budget into 
a workable, high-performance solution. They have all kinds of services, from 3D printing to finishing services, end-to-end composite solutions is what they are. Check them out, ipcindy.com or indieperformancecompositesinc.com and tell them that the folks from Inside Groove set you. Welcome back to Inside Groove as we wrap up another episode. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Danny Sewell. And uh, I hope that a lot of what Danny talked about there actually happens. As I think it would be great for the division. And I love uh, a lot of the thoughts that he has uh, about um, how to make things better. So let's hope that perhaps some of that at least comes to pass We move on now to what's in a number. Now, this is where, again, I I probably will get myself in trouble, but that's okay. That's kind of what this segment's all about, right? So the number 91, I'm just going to go ahead and say that the driver that I associate most with the number 91 is Eddie Thompson. Now, Eddie, to me was probably underappreciated and underrespected as a racer because for the first number of years of his career now I remember Eddie racing modifieds I think he had a coupe if I remember right and he raced it and this is uh for those of you who are younger this is gosh maybe i don't know 74 75 somewhere in there um 76 they all run together now um i think it was i think it was about 74 75 he had and i i'm almost positive it was a coupe modified that he ran at fulton speedway and i'm sure he ran it other places too i think he did a little bit of dirt racing with it but i'm not sure back then you could do that drivers ran the same car uh on both pavement and dirt modified wise anyway and i thought that was cool i i i really hate that racing went in a direction of becoming more specialized where you had your dirt mods and your asphalt mods because i really i thought back in the day that being able to run the same car on both surfaces and be successful with it was kind of a badge of honor um but anyways uh i think he did probably more pavement racing with it than dirt racing but uh i remember running it at fulton and then he got into super modified racing he bought the old ed close 69 the side engine car that or mid-engine however you want to say it that uh guy chartran was was famous for driving guy chartran and and um uh that jimmy champagne hot lapped several times there were a number of drivers that drove it when it was the closed car did kind of short-term stints in it merv treichler uh mark letcher um i think freddie graves was in it once jimmy i don't think jimmy ever raced it but he drove it in hot laps a couple times he was he was intrigued with it i think and really was trying to help he was driving he started driving for ed close in the modified division when um 
And I don't know, I don't know that I asked Ed when I had him on the show back a ways during the Champagne Tribute show, and I should have, um, kind of why Guy left or what happened, but um, I think I remember somebody saying at one point that the one of the original two um, Hemikudas or yeah, Hemikudas um, there were two of them. There was one that, that Jimmy started driving. The one that the modified they had when Jimmy started driving um, was I think Hemi Cuda one. And then there was a Cuda two. And then um, they built the Colt bodied car that Jimmy ran for the rest of the time that he drove for close. And I think that, I think the Colt came out in like 75 or 76, but um, Jimmy won. I believe if I remember right, when he won the modified 274, um, I believe he was driving the Cuda too at the time. But anyway, guy took one of them. I heard from some, somebody told me once that guy took one of those two. It may have been the, the, the Cuda too, and ran it on dirt up in Canada or up North for a while. And, um, and then obviously just retired or whatever, but, um, and I think one of them, I'm almost positive. I remember seeing, and maybe this is where I heard. Yeah, I think it was actually at one of the old time, the old timers reunions, I think, uh, whichever Cuda that guy had that he, he had taken and raced on the dirt or whatever. Um, I'm pretty sure that's how it went now. Cause I think I remember that car being at one of the reunions and, so that's fun. Um, but I don't know exactly kind of why guy decided to stop racing the super and racing for Ed and whatever, but <clears throat> for whatever, whatever reason, Jimmy took it over the modified ride. And then, uh, the super 69, um, was kind of a slightly revolving seat. And, and then Ed, Eddie Thompson bought it in, uh, I'm going to say 76, it might've been 77, but one of those two years, I think is right. He bought it in one of those two years, made it, made it, made his debut with it. Um, and it kind of went through a number of rebuilds and, and sort of alterations, if you will, he redesigned it a few times and turned it into a top 10 car by the time he, you know, at that point, of course, you know, Jimmy had built his offset car and, so eventually everybody kind of went <laughs> to the offset to uh to keep up with it and um so a lot of the poor uh 8 inch cars got left and that that uh 91 that Ed Thompson had the mid-engine car um I think he actually was the last to race it and that would have been maybe 79 or 80, I think, somewhere in there. And then he went with the offset car, and I don't even know what happened to the the mid-engine car. Um, that's one of those cars that you wish was still around and could get re, uh, rebuilt, um, restored to its original condition, because, boy, that was a cool-looking car. 
I always thought that was a really neat design. It had a a turbo, I think, at the beginning, and um, they redid the roll cage. Um, I don't know if it was the first year guy ran it or f- for the second year, but um, they wanted to because I guess his, I think his head was actually sticking out of the original cage. Um, but they, uh, I think they got him sitting a little more upright in the car too, but that was a real interesting car. So that was the first car Ed bought. And then, then he built, um, a couple of offset cars after that. The one that he had first, the black and gold one was just absolutely awesome. I love the look of the car, the shape of the car. Um, and you know, Eddie, Eddie built it, he maintained it, he drove it and and did a really nice job and i i thought maybe with that car he would win a race never did but um he he built uh, a second offset car and i think his his the first offset i think when he sold it i want to say the sharkies ended up with it i'm probably wrong about that but <laughs> I want to say the Sharkies. I I think that might have been actually the first car that Bill Sharky ever took laps with, but I don't think they had it very long. And then um, I think they got, uh, yeah, I think they ended up with a Muldoon. Yeah, the uh, the car that I think it was the car that Jim Muldoon had that that they that they built for Jim the offset car that Jim drove the 08 car. I think that was the one that ended up. It was kind of a Bellinger copy. I think that was the one that uh, that that they ended up with uh, for Sharky to, to Billy to drive. But I think I for I swear I remember him having the old Thompson car. So somebody can verify that. But I think he started with that maybe for a race or two or something. But anyways, um, Eddie built the second offset car, and I don't know that that one ever really lived up to the first one from the standpoint of speed. I don't recall him having. Even the you know back end top five top seven success that he had with the first one, um, and then he ended up getting out of racing. And I I I think uh, I know that at least one night Ronnie Wallace drove the ninety one because Eddie was hurt. I think he hurt his back or something. Um, and I only remember that because and again the things that you forget. And the things that you remember sometimes it's like, why do I remember this? But not, you know, the fact that Jack Patrick drives the number 90 now. Uh, I remember and I don't remember the name of the place, but there was a restaurant downtown in Oswego a long time ago. It would have been back, you know, around 1979 or 80. Um, There was a restaurant down there that was kind of a a diner type place. And I remember Eddie for some reason my i think it was my mother and i i don't know if my brother was there too but my mother and i went in to eat lunch i think and eddie was there and um and i think that it was around classic time because i think the reason i went up to eddie was because i wanted to know if he was going to be able to race the classic and he said he thought that ronnie would drive it in the classic and then he didn't. Then Eddie ended up driving it himself and did very well with it. Um, 
I think he had a top five finish, actually, if I remember right. Or at least he was running up there. But that first offset car ran really good. And then the the, the second one never really um, necessarily, I don't think it looked pretty. It was a gold-colored car, I think. Looked pretty, but it never really uh, lived up to probably the potential that, that at least Ed would have hoped. And then, like I said, I think he just retired and uh, he kept helping Joe Gozik. He started helping Joe and kept helping Joe. And uh, he was just a great guy. I just remember Eddie. Eddie was just the greatest guy. Um, you know, super nice guy, really good driver. Um, a lot of fun to be around. And, you know, always treated me well. And I, you know, I really appreciated him. And, uh, you know, he's... Um, He's one of those folks, you know, like Bobby Smith, that um, you just feel his loss consistently. I At least I do. So, Eddie was a nice guy. Uh, but I think Ronnie drove his car once. And, again, sometimes I think I, uh, I get stuff confused. But I want to say Jamie Moore might have raced it once, too, at some point. Um, the first car, first offset car. Um, other 91s, uh, again, I, man, I, I think it was, I, I wanted to say that Larry Leonard was 91, but so I, in my head, I'm thinking 92 and this would have been back in the seventies too. Um, and then I don't know if there was actually, gosh, um, there might've been, there might have been a point where maybe the Crusetti car ran as 91 because Brian Herb was 11. Um, so maybe that car was 91. Maybe when Billy Whitaker drove it. I, I uh, um, And then the only other 91 that I can think of right off the top of my head, and I'm not even sure it ever was 91, but I know that there was a 71 car that came, I think, from Ohio, and it might have been a show car. Um, And I think it had a couple different drivers in it, and that might have been a 91 by renumber at one point, maybe Randy Wynn or somebody like that, Uh, Bobby Renz maybe. I don't remember, um, but 91 is a number that I don't think has been used a bunch over the years, and um, I know that uh, the Grams had it. I think Cody might have been 91, maybe. Um, Johnny Teresi or Eric, one of them, maybe, when they were kind of all connected there with the, with Ray Graham and his group. Um, they, I, think, I think they... I think 91 was one of their numbers, and I think that also might have been the Graham number that, who was the modified driver? Oh, gosh. That Ron Silk, was it Silk? Silk, was he, he was the one, I think, uh, I'm, I'm trying to, to, he picked, I remember him picking up the left front tire or whatever when he was, um, I think it might have been Silk, um, that drove the car one time. He was a lot of fun to watch, too. Um and then there's always the uh, trying to think if, if um, gosh, no, I don't, I don't think the because they when Vic Miller renumbered it was always seventy one, so I don't know that there was another ninety one. There probably was somewhere along the way, uh, 
I'm sure I'm missing one or two somewhere. And of course, anything before 73, um, I don't get blamed for when I get, when I get one before 73, then I know it's a bonus. Um, <laughs> cause I didn't start going till 73. And even then I was only five, but, um, I think that gets a lot of them anyway. And I'm sure, like I said, uh, probably somebody can, can, uh, think of some others, but, um, when we get into the 90 numbers, car numbers, um, there's a couple of them that have quite a history. And then there's a couple that weren't really used a whole lot. And I feel like 91 as a primary number for somebody, I don't think there were too many over the years. The Eddie Thompson probably, you know, is if you think of all of the 91s, I think Eddie would be the one you'd kind of, um, you know, hang the number on and say, you know, is his number. And we remember it for him more than anybody else. But um, I think there were some others that I named and, and maybe there were a few others that I missed. Um, I'm hoping there's nobody that runs 91 now or we're going <laughs> to I'm going to have to do the apology again next week. Um, but I just I refuse to, to research. I just don't. I, I don't I that would completely spoil the point of this uh, segment for me. So um, if you're running 90. 90- if you're running 91 now in the super modified of the Swiggo Speedway, I'm sorry in advance. There, I'll get it out of the way first. Um, but it's uh, it's been fun to do that and, and just have a little fun with that and make my brain work a little bit. And it gets some comments going for when I'm wrong or I miss somebody. Um, so, uh, man, I, I don't have a lot of other stuff to talk about, to be honest. I... Um, I feel like uh, Danny Sewell deserves to kind of own this show because... Uh, it was a great interview. Uh, we're going to try to get Camden proud on for the next show. We, um, Camden, Cam and I agreed, uh, we were going to try to do something earlier this week and then I got tied up and we just couldn't get back together again. So, um, we'll try to get him on to talk about registrations at Oswego because that process has started. I will say that the one, the one big surprise among the registrants is, Nick Barzee is actually entering what I'm told is an old booth car in the 350 class, which is really cool. Nick's father is Bobby Barzee, who many of you remember, uh, ran, raced for a while, was a part of Jimmy Champagne's crew back in the day, and then raced himself for a while. Uh, I think that he had... Um, I think he had a car that he had bought from somewhere and then maybe he built one. I don't, I think, I think the last car he drove, I think there were two. And I think the last one he drove, he built himself, if I remember right. But, uh, Bobby was, he was a great painter. He was a very, very, very good. Back when we did paint instead of wraps, he was, uh, he was a very, very good painter. And, um, so Bobby's son, Nick raced, uh, either I think it was quarter midgets and then uh raced modifieds for a little while and I guess now he's switching to the 350 class I kind of lost track of uh him and uh so he's coming to us we're going to race the 350 which I think is really cool um don't know any of the particulars we'll try to see if we can uh, reach out to Nick and uh maybe get him on a show here coming up to uh give us more detail but uh, or maybe cam will know when we talk to him but it should be a lot of fun and i and and i love to see the registration process start i know that the weather up there is still not 
Very nice. Um, hopefully we can kick old man Winter's butt out sooner rather than later and uh, get the temperature up a little bit and look forward to some great racing at the Oswego Speedway in 2022. So uh, we'll leave it there for this week. I do want to say, as always, a very special thank you to Jeff West and the folks from IPC Indie, IndiePerformanceComposites.com. Uh, of course, Sean Cathcart and um, the staff at Skip's Fish Fry and LaGroff's Pub and Rich Worth and the folks from JNS Paving. And Rich gets kind of a double thank you for uh, being a sponsor of the show, but also for um, the contributions that he makes to the multiple types of super modifieds and all of that. And um, so go support those folks. If you need a, you need your driveway paved, make sure you give Rich a call. Uh, he, he and his crew will do a great job for you. Uh, also, obviously, if you are hungry, go to LaGroff's or go to Skip's Fish Fry. Still think Skip's is the best fish in the city of Oswego. Oh, and by the way, I, I, I'm, I'm going to mention this just because um, Larry Miller is a good friend of mine, and uh, Larry runs uh, GJC Italian Eatery out on the East End in, Os- in Oswego. Uh, I've always said that he is the best pizza in town. I saw I saw a post today on, I think it was on Instagram or one of the socials that he had posted. Uh, he'd been in a newspaper or in a magazine article, which is awesome. So um, getting some feature uh, stuff out there and uh, glad to see him getting publicity. If you're hungry for pizza in the city, just uh, just don't even think twice. Just go there and uh, or, you know, they'll deliver it for you. Uh, best pizza in the city. And uh, they it's all homemade ingredients, too, which is it. You can tell when food is made with care, you know, and that's I think that's why I I, I like certain places better than others, because, you know, they're, they're just in skips is the same. And I'm sure LaGroff's is, too. I haven't had the chance to get up there to, to, to go there yet. But since uh, Sean's had it. But when when you have a restaurant and you really take a lot of time and put a lot of care and a lot of thought and a lot of, um, you know, a lot of effort into really making your food good and, and making it well um, and doing it right, then I think that's what I appreciate the most. And when you go to uh, GJC and get pizza or you go to Skip's and, uh, and you get fish or whatever it is that you, that you order, um, those folks really care about giving you a good meal and a fair price and and taking care of you the way that you would expect to be and so those those are the places i tend to gravitate to now um it you know i i i don't spend a lot of time in places where i mean obviously you know if you're on the road you got to do fast food but um or at least you know most of the time anyway but um when I have a choice and I want a good sit down meal, then I try to go somewhere like that. So uh, there you have it. And of course, uh, thanks uh, to Jeff West as well. And make sure if you need anything fabricated, he's the guy to call. I think uh, you all know that by now. Um, and uh, not sure what uh, I'm going to have to find out what Jeff's doing super modified wise for this year. But um, I know he, uh, I have heard that he may be into some other things. And so, um, have to try to round him up too for a, a show coming up. Uh, with that, we'll uh, 
throw the checkered flag in this one and just thank you all for listening. Please remember to share because you never know who might see it um, and, you know, tune in for the first time. And we really want to get supermodified racing out there as much as we can. So uh, look forward to the next Inside Groove. It will be episode number 92 and it will be coming up soon. So watch for it. And until then, I'm Tom Baker. Thank you all for listening. God bless and be safe. So long. You've been listening to Inside Groove, powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Find them on the web at www.ipcindy.com. Inside Groove is a Race Chaser Media production. For more exciting and passionate motorsport content, follow Race Chaser Media on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, and visit racechasermedia.com. The opinions expressed by our guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff, management, affiliate, or marketing partners. No part of this show may be reproduced in any manner without the expressed written consent of Race Chaser Media. Thank you for listening.